Julie Knopp is an educator and community advocate for Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's also the executive director of City Stay, a nonprofit organization that offers special homestay programs to students in Minnesota's Twin Cities. City Stay's programs are a lot like study abroad programs, where students stay with host families in other countries, except City Stay matches local students with local families. Their goal is to educate Minnesotans about the diverse cultures not far from where they already live, and to encourage trust between residents of the Twin Cities. I talked with Julie about this one-of-a-kind idea, and about what City Stay has accomplished so far. I'm Josh Morgan. My conversation with Julie is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. Something I realized while reading up for this episode is that, in a sense, Julie and the team at City Stay are trying to restore our admiration for the places where we live, and for the people who live there. Or at least they are among the residents of the Twin Cities. A lot of the tourism industry today appeals to this notion that we should want relief from the places where we live, or from the people that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Now, I like seeing new sites too, so I'm not saying that traveling is a bad thing, but I think sometimes we plan faraway trips as a way to leave the problems at home behind. And that's fine as a temporary escape, but those problems will still be there. And not everyone shares the same desire to leave them. I think what I'm trying to say is that the occasional trip somewhere new is okay, but we often look past the value in places where we live when planning to take a break. Part of the reason why that is is because maybe we don't know as much as we'd like about the places we live or the people who we share them with. But City Stay would like to change that mindset. Julie founded City Stay a few years ago after a ton of careful planning. And I'm just so enamored with this concept, and I'm happy that Julie made time to talk with me. To me, City Stay is a perfect example of what's possible when our desire to help others is as strong as hers. Here's Julie Knopp, the executive director at City Stay. So tell me about City Stay. What's the purpose behind your organization? City Stay invites Minnesotan students of all colors and creeds to live with new Minnesotan families in the Hmong, Somali, and Latino communities. And those are the biggest immigrant communities we have here in Minnesota. And the idea is that instead of going halfway across the world to learn about a new culture or a new language, our students stay right here and explore a new community right in their own backyards. So, for example, most commonly, we might have a white student who was born and raised in Minnesota staying with a family from Somalia who immigrated to Minnesota 10 years ago. Or we might have an African-American student who's staying with a, a multi-generation Hmong family. Some of the family members might be from Laos, and some of them might be born here in the Twin Cities. And we work primarily with high school students, again, of any any background, but usually born and raised here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, um, and we allow them to live for a period of time with a family from a different cultural community just a few miles from their real home. You know, I wasn't aware of an organization like City Stay until I came across yours. Like, are there other organizations like this? As far as we know, this is the only organization like this in the country. We've done a little research into it, and we found a, a university in Wisconsin that was offering some homestays in the Somali community for students who are doing a course related to Somali culture. But as far mm -hmm. as offering these experiences to high school students, 
and more broadly to the community, we really offer this to anyone who, who wants to bring forth a group, then uh, we, we haven't found anything quite comparable. Okay. When someone comes to you and they, they express interest in, in trying out one of your programs, how does that work? What's that process like? So at this point, our students are largely sourced from high schools. So the high school will recruit within their community, within their institution, and then bring a group of students to us who will go through the program. One of the reasons that this is really helpful is because students are really intimidated by this experience. And I, that's completely understandable. I know I would be too. Uh, you're walking into a stranger's home and not only a stranger, but a stranger of a completely different culture. So it's been comforting to students to know that other people at their school have done the program or they'll be doing it with other people that they know. So it's been most when we've recruited more broadly to the to the public, it's been more difficult and it's been more helpful when students come as a group. How do you find families and how do you match them with prospective students? That's a great question. We have a number of ways that we recruit, but the most successful has been word of mouth. When we first started, we were doing flyers and ads. And as we learned more about the communities we were working with, and as we had more volunteers from those communities, we learned that it's just not the most effective way to reach them and to build trust. So after a couple of our volunteers had found friends who wanted to host those friends had positive experiences and then went on to tell other people, uh, which is how we've grown that hosting pool. And students can request which community they'd like to stay in. We work with the three biggest immigrant communities in Minnesota among Somali and Latino communities. Although we don't guarantee where they'll be placed, generally that's one of the biggest factors that determines who a student will be staying with is which community they've requested to live in. And then we also, of course, look for what are their interests. It's really helpful when a student and a family both really enjoy cooking, then it's a good match. Or if they both really enjoy outdoor activities, whatever it might be. What inspired you to found City Stay? Like what about your background kind of led you to that point? When I was an undergraduate, I had studied abroad in Thailand for a semester. And I had also done a semester long program on the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas, in El Paso. And in that program, I was studying in a predominantly Mexican-American community. And what really struck me about it when I got back to my college and reflected on those two experiences was that I had felt more like a foreigner in Texas than in Thailand. And for those who, who haven't spent much time in border communities, you know, I would walk down the street and every corner I might see an image of the Virgin of Guadalupe. I'd hear traditional Mexican music. People would approach me in Spanish, just assuming that I must speak Spanish if I'm there. And in Thailand, there was a very big community of expats. Many people approached me in English. And I think I just expected to, expected to feel like a foreigner in Thailand. But I didn't expect to experience that in, in Texas, in my own country. And it really sparked this idea for me of how much untapped potential we have right now in our own country, in our own backyards for intercultural dialogue and learning. So after college, I, I spent a couple of more years on the border. I, I was working with kids with autism. And then I also spent about a year as a street performer selling jokes. And then after that time, I, I got kind of antsy to start this idea. And, and I came back soon after to, to start City Stay. What did you study in college? 
I studied uh, an interdisciplinary major of sociology, psychology, and anthropology. Did you have a career in mind? At that point, I didn't. But actually, after college, I was hoping to, to go into something with cross-community dialogue. And I specifically wanted to study Muslim-Christian relations. So I spent a few months doing a, a graduate program uh, in religious studies. And what I found was it really wasn't helping me to build the skills I would need to get city stay off the ground. And as that was kind of what I wanted to be doing, I left that program and started city stay. And indeed, the skills have been really on the job training, especially with the nature of the program not existing. As far as we know elsewhere, it's, it would be hard to kind of get a lot of these skills. I was wondering, what is the experience like for a typical student that goes through a program like yours? So they start with an orientation, kind of setting their own learning goals and learning a few do's and don'ts for the communities that they're going to be in. After orientation, students have an informal meal with host families. It's the initial meeting for all of the students and families, and that kind of creates a a comfortable atmosphere because you have your fellow students there, the families have their fellow families there, uh, and they all kind of informally mingle. And then they go home for a couple of days, the first kind of weekend together. And every day during the program, students and families are asked to choose a, co- a collaborative kind of activity. So there's a list that we give them. It might include learning a dance from the family's culture. It might include cooking a meal or learning a game, gardening, whatever it might be. On the following Monday, students come back and they have the opportunity to teach one another about what they've learned from their activities as well as just their homestay in general. We also have during the day some programming uh, with speakers who come in and engage the students as well as going to community sites, malls, museums specific to the largest immigrant communities in Minnesota. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Like school assemblies and such? Yeah, it's a sort of academic programming. Because host families largely are working during the day, it's helpful, we think, to supplement the students' homestay experience with both debriefing time and kind of additional experiences in the community. And for me, this has been one of the most valuable parts of what we do. I've often worried that we would be kind of preaching to the choir, that a student wouldn't be willing to do the program unless they're already open to Mm -hmm. other communities. And what we find is that that time, for example, let's say you're a student staying in the Hmong community, which is one of the biggest communities, immigrant communities in Minnesota. But then we have time where we're, we're talking about the Somali community, where we go to the Somali mall, we go to the Somali museum. And it's during those times that I think students are often most forced to address some of their assumptions. We had a student in our most recent program last week who came into the week telling me that she would not be willing to stay with a Muslim family. And of course, we, we had to heed her request, and she stayed with a, a Hmong family. And she had some conversations throughout the daytime programming, one of which was at the Somali Mall. A, a woman approached her and just kind of wanted to know who she was, what brought her there, as uh, the student was, was white, and you don't encounter a lot of white students in the Somali Mall. And they started talking 
And the Somali woman shared a lot about how excited she was to connect with the girl because the student was Christian and she was Somali and she's Muslim and she saw a lot of points of commonality between their faiths and she was excited to discuss those. So at the end of the week, the student told me that if she were to do the program again, she would beg her parents to to stay in the, to stay in the Muslim community um, oh, because nice. she really felt like she had a lot more to learn and that there really were points of commonality that she wanted to explore further. So. I, I think that daytime programming does have a certain value that sometimes a homestay programming can't offer. What would a program, you know, like a local homestay program like yours offer compared to a study abroad program? Like how, how are they different? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I think one of the most obvious points is that it's cheaper, right? It's more affordable to go locally than to go abroad. Makes sense. Yeah. And at the same time, you're able to maintain any work commitments you might have, any family commitments you might have, or health concerns. So we're kind of able to broaden the dialogue uh, of intercultural education by allowing students who otherwise might not be able to participate in study abroad to have these kinds of experiences. And of course, study abroad is something that's largely been experienced by the middle and upper class. And so we're really excited that City Stay is able to offer intercultural education to a broader audience of people. And in that way, I think everyone benefits when we have more voices in the conversation. Everyone can, can learn more from that. And at the same time, I think one of the things that was most important to me about why this this might be valuable in addition to or instead of a study abroad program is that when I came back from Thailand, I found that I didn't know any Thai people here. I didn't know where the Thai community was here or if we even had one. Uh, and ultimately, time passed and my relationships in Thailand kind of dissolved. I forgot the language that I had gained proficiency in. And I really lost all contact with the Thai community and forgot the great majority of what I learned. And I think that's a very common study abroad story. And as that was happening to me, I kept thinking, what if I had done this learning here? What if those relationships weren't halfway across the world, but if they were right here and could last a lifetime even? Um, and I think there's really something powerful about doing cross-cultural exchange locally where you can continue building on those relationships and you're learning indefinitely, um, and maybe even over the course of a lifetime. And in addition, in a way that really pushes, uh, pushes back against some of the tensions that we have in our communities. Do you have any stories about where you've noticed that these programs have helped those kinds of tensions? Yeah, I, I mean, the, first of all, I think of the story that I was just mentioning, but I, I think our biggest piece is, is more long-term kind of learning and development. M many of the students don't have any specific kind of punchy anecdote, but we see that their intelligence, their kind of emotional intelligence and and their stereotyping kind of dissolve throughout the course of the week and their emotional intelligence growing, of course. Having said that, there are, you know, a few really meaningful moments that I can think of in addition to the to the story I just mentioned. We also offer, I'm not sure if you knew this, we offer daytime programming for educators or professionals. So if if they're not able to do a homestay, we also offer trainings and seminars that help professionals better serve the communities, the diverse communities they work with. So what's involved with something like that? Generally, we have speakers and kind of hands-on activities where um, professionals kind of consider how they might be able to improve their practice with these diverse communities and especially learning more about 
what the, the cultures they work with consist of. I'm often surprised when I go to talk to groups and find that some groups have never even heard the names of some of the communities we have here. We have almost 70,000 Hmong people in the Twin Cities, and sometimes I'll get questions, what is Hmong? So it, I think it's hard to effectively serve these communities when you're not even sure what their name is, let alone kind of the basic fundamentals of what the community might value. What are the strengths and kind of challenges of the community? What are some of the traditions in that community? I think there is a value for professionals who are not able to do a week-long homestay, still being able to engage with people from the communities they work with and learn about some of the tools that might help them better serve the communities in their job. But I I thought of one specific anecdote in the trainings, because initially we had thought experiential learning, the kitchens and the living rooms of our host families are really where the most powerful learning happens. And we still believe that. But there have been some moments in the trainings where we've had aha moments that came from simply from more formal teaching. There was one seminar. I was talking about a woman I had recently met who worked for Habitat for Humanity. She worked with the volunteers and she would often have the volunteers, mostly white, visit the homes of of the families who had newly moved into the homes that these volunteers had built. And many of the families were Somali. And during these visits, a lot of times the, the volunteers would leave and, and the family wouldn't have said thank you. And the volunteers were very bothered by that. And they would say, you know, how, what kinds of people are these who wouldn't thank us for a new home that they got for free? At that same time, I was taking Somali lessons and my teacher had just returned from Somalia to visit some relatives. And for many years, he had been sending money to his relatives. And he mentioned that no one had thanked him and that he, he didn't expect that thank you and that it didn't bother him at all. But that in Somali culture, saying thank you is, a very, is done very differently. It's not said verbally and it's often shown through gestures of hospitality. For example, maybe having the volunteers to their home to have tea, to have a meal, but maybe not verbally saying that thank you. And for a lot of the ESL teachers who were in that training, that was a big aha moment because they learned that maybe the reason they're not hearing thank yous from their students isn't because the students aren't grateful, but because the students approach thank you in a very different way. Hmm. Yeah, I know in some cultures, I don't know about Somali culture, but you know, saying thank you and showing like verbal gratitude can be kind of like a shameful thing. And they, they prefer to pay one another back you know, with reciprocity. So it's interesting that you were able to experience that. Yeah, exactly. I know you you have the homestay programs and the training programs kind of spread out through the year. Mm-hmm. So what's a typical day like for you? Well, I I have a day job in addition to City Stay, actually. I work in a Spanish immersion elementary school. And so City Stay is something that I have to take, unfortunately, a lot of time off for and also do a lot of weekend and nighttime work. Okay. A typical day in a program is very intensive. Of course, we wake up early to prepare the day-long programming for the students. We often are visiting community sites with them and then coming back to facilitate that kind of student-centered teaching where they're talking to one another about what they've learned in their homestay. And then afterwards, we're often doing home visits to make sure that the home experience is going well. So during the course of a week, we like to visit each of the host homes to just see what's going on, making sure the student's feeling comfortable, making sure the family is feeling comfortable and just ensuring safety. Uh, so there's a lot of, of different things that come up that make those, those days 
very labor intensive. And outside of that, on a time when we're not doing programming, there's just a whole range of things that take up our time from seeking grants to uh, trying to reach out to new host families, trying to reach out to new schools to start programs there, hosting events open to the public to just try to get one of our big goals is, is to just get people's feet in the door with thinking about these issues and communicating with other other communities. And for some people, they're not ready to start with a homestay or even a day long or a meal in someone else's home, but just to start with uh, more formal kind of classroom environments to talk about these issues. And then maybe from there, consider something more immersive. Are you originally from the Twin Cities? I was raised in the Twin Cities, yes. Okay, okay. Well, I was going to ask, what what do you think makes the Twin Cities a good home for City Stay? One of the things that, that is unique about the Twin Cities is that as of the last time I saw the numbers, we have the highest number of refugees here in the in the country. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And in addition to that, like many cities in the U.S., we have a very segregated community. There's something really interesting that I would encourage listeners to look up. Um, on Google is Flickr Race and Ethnicity 2010. And we find these maps on Flickr that that have most U.S. major cities. And on each map, there are dots that represent a certain number of residents of a particular race or ethnicity, different colored dots for the different races. And of course, race is more complex than these kinds of cut and dry categories. But for our purposes, we see on these maps how the colors are just kind of clustered in in the different areas. And it's so easy to to see why we have so few bridges and why we have such little communication. It's amazing how how segregated our communities still are. So with that in mind, we really value that kind of creating those spaces for for cross-community dialogue and to create relationships that that cross those lines. Was there a moment I guess not long after you started City Stay, or I guess at any point when you thought, you know, this is going to work. There were a lot of moments when I might have thought the opposite. Oh, really? (laughs) Maybe four months in, we were still kind of doing a lot of the initial concept development. And I met a woman who had worked with the Somali community. I think she'd worked with the Somali community for 20 years. And she told me this will never work. You won't find Muslim Somali families who are willing to participate in this program. The culture is too different. And as somebody who had much more experience than me working with the Somali community, I was concerned that she might be right. But I also was rubbed the wrong way by her comment. I didn't believe that all of the people in the Somali community would be that similar and one of the things that continues to surprise me about this work is just how much diversity we see within each community we work with. And of course, the first host family that we ever recruited was Somali. And I think for each of those moments where somebody has said this won't work, there have also been, you know, some time later, the aha moment when we find out that's not true. So it's definitely been challenging, especially since we didn't really have a model to work off of, not knowing any similar programs. But I think the biggest moment when we knew it would work is when we were running our first program and seeing that it really was having the impact on students that we hoped it would have. We have students journal about their experiences. And just on the first couple of days of that program, I was reviewing their journals and just seeing the exact insights we hoped would be happening of these students saying that this this was an eye-opening, eye-opening experience and that they were really surprised by the similarities and the differences they were finding 
within the community they were staying with and their own community. Wow, that's great. What's something about the people that you serve or maybe the work that you do that the public may not be aware of, but you'd like for more people to know about? That that kind of relates to what I was just touching on in, in that we really want people to know about the diversity within each cultural community. Sometimes people have asked us about if City Stay might be considered some kind of poverty tourism. And I think we see even there an implicit stereotype that this assumption that immigrant families are poor, but that's often not that's the case. That's a good case. point, yeah. Yeah, we have several families, host families who live in in the suburbs who have high paying jobs and you know, for a specific example, we have the Indian American community, the Asian Indian community, where the median income is, I believe, about 90 some percent higher than the median income of, of all U.S. households. And so I think we, we really want our students to have, some of our students to have that experience in spacious suburban homes and then have other students who are in small apartments in the middle of the city to really push back against the idea that there is a singular immigrant experience. And we really hope that our families as well are taking away this idea that their students' communities are also diverse. We have some students, some families who have hosted multiple times. And the kinds of students they've received have been so different, even when they're from the same community. So, so we hope both sides, the families and the students of our programming, are really seeing how rich and how diverse each community here in the Twin Cities is. If someone were to encounter your organization and they were kind of inspired by it and they maybe wanted to start something similar, even on a smaller scale in their area, mm-hmm. what kind of advice would you give them to start? Like, what, what have you learned that maybe you would do differently? I think the most valuable thing for us was having advocates within the communities that we were working with. We really couldn't get off the ground until we found connections within the Somali, Hmong, and Latino communities who really valued this work and wanted to advocate within their community to promote this program. They were the ones who got the first host families, and they were the ones who really helped us build trust and credibility within those communities. So I think that would be the most important piece of advice to really build trust and make connections in the communities that that you're working with. In addition, I think the most important thing is just the persistence. I think it was two or three years that we were working before we really ran the first full-scale program because it was so difficult to build trust and it was so difficult to to get enough funds and get enough credibility to run a program. We had so many schools tell us, this program sounds fantastic. Please contact us once you've run a couple of these successfully. Oh, yeah. It was a constant struggle to how can we partner with with people without any history of partnership. So that persistence was was really important as well. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that there were times when you were discouraged and I could could see why now that you mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I'm, I'm proud that you, you stay determined. I mean, it, it's really admirable what you're doing. Thank you. And I think seeing, as I was saying, just seeing that it works for, for students is what was the most valuable. There was one student who, who was an immigrant himself. We've had a few students who, who have been from new Minnesotan families themselves. And he was from China. And when he lived in China, he saw the Hmong community, which is indigenous community from the mountains of Laos, China, Thailand, and Vietnam. And then he moved to Minnesota 
And again, he saw the Hmong community here and he, he kind of wanted to know these people have been my neighbors in both of these places that I've called home, but I have no idea. I don't know anything about them. And at the end of our program, he said that he learned more in the week that he was staying with his Hmong host family about the people of Minnesota than he had learned in three years in the U.S. Wow. And I think to me, that just speaks to the power of experiential learning. I know my most powerful learning experiences have been immersive ones, have been ones where I was learning in a hands-on way. And I think our, our students often experience that as well, that this is very memorable for them because it's such a lived experience in learning. Do you have any goals in mind for City Stay? Like, what do you see in the future? My main goal is just to increase the volume of students that we're reaching. At this point, We've had 15 students go through the homestay week, and I'd really like to see 15 students go through the homestay week each year, if not more. Mm -hmm. And you just had, was it just one student last week? There were five. Five, okay. Yeah. And so our goal is really just to increase the number of students and families we're able to reach and bring into this week-long program. And there's a number of different avenues we might do that. We, we hope to partner with more schools. We hope to build funding so that we can have more paid staff to, to reach out to new communities and have the time to really build more partnerships and trust with the, the communities we want to work with. Have you been able to go back to any of the schools that said, you know, hey, yeah, come back when you, know, you run a few of these. This sounds great. Like, have you worked with any of them since they told you that? You know, I think I, think I actually haven't gone back to any of them because since we've started running programs, the work has been so demanding that we haven't been kind of as active about seeking out new partnerships. We've kind of been working on how we can better cultivate the current partnerships we have and bring in more students through those. But I think I as we continue to grow, I definitely hope we can reconnect with those schools and and draw them in. And we have had people who we didn't directly reach out to, but who saw our work and said they took two or three years before they contacted us because they wanted to wanted to see that the organization was stable and growing. So where can we follow you and City Stay online? Uh, You can follow us on Facebook. We're listed as City Stay. You can also follow us at mycitystay.org. We have a a blog on our website that sometimes includes student insights, family insights, what's going on with our programming. And those are the two most valuable places to, to follow our work. Okay. And one last question. If, if your work had a message, what would you like for that message to say? In our mission, we talk about sparking unlikely connections. And I think that's really the essence of our work is that so often we don't know our neighbors. We don't know the communities that live just down the street from us. And at City Stay, we really value building these cross-community bridges and relationships and starting these dialogues. So I think our tagline would be sparking unlikely connections. Great answer. (laughs) Is there any way to donate or any way that we can support your work? Absolutely. On our website, there's donations through PayPal. And at this point, as a small startup, truly every dollar makes such a difference. And with no paid staff, all of the money goes directly to programming. So Truly, every dollar makes such a difference. Uh, And the website is www.mycitystay.org. Okay. Well, I really admire what you and your organization are doing. Uh, I hope to bring more awareness to it. And I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me and um, we'll be in touch. Yeah. All right. I guess that's all I have. 
Sounds great. Thank you, Josh. This has been The Plural of You, and I'm Josh Morgan. The show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all I have for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.